four little words, Mary, Mother of God. I can't think of four little words that bring more honor and dignity to the role of women and of motherhood than to confess at the center of our Christian faith that God came into this world for our salvation through a woman, through her womb, and took Mary as his mother. You're listening to the Holy Joys Sermon Podcast. Visit us at holyjoys.org to find more resources for a holy, happy church. I want to spend some time reflecting this morning on the most important mother who ever lived. The most important mother who ever lived. One might even say the most important woman who ever lived. Mary, the mother of our Lord. God chose one woman through whom he would come into the world for us and for our salvation. It's amazing that Christians confess that God came into the world. It is amazing that God came for us and that he came for our salvation. But it's mind-bending to think that God, almighty, all-powerful, came through a woman, through a mother, through her womb. And that says something this morning, something profound about the dignity of motherhood and about the equality of women. It's provided a source of inspiration for Christian women through the centuries, and I'm praying that it will encourage you this morning. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1, and let's stand together this morning for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? 
that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked to the humble estate of his servant, and behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. You may be seated. Whenever we talk about Mary, there's a few extremes that we need to avoid. I was reflecting here on a, a business meeting that I had in Cincinnati. I think it's been two years ago. And I, while I was there, attended a Roman Catholic Mass. And if you've ever been to a Roman Catholic Mass, there's a lot that you can appreciate. There's a lot of scripture in the service. But I was deeply troubled that as soon as I walked in on the left-hand side of Old St. Mary's Church, there was a, a large statue of Mary. And there was an inscription at the top that said, I am the Immaculate conception. I am the immaculate conception. When we talk about the immaculate conception, we're talking about being conceived or born without any sin, immaculately, purely. Now, we know that when we are born into the world, we are born sinful. We call that inherited depravity or original sin. We're born with a self-centered nature. The big eye is on the throne of our hearts from day one. But the church has always confessed that Jesus was born without sin because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And because he was conceived in a supernatural way by the Holy Spirit, by a virgin, Jesus alone was without sin. And so it's troubling to me that Roman Catholics extend the Immaculate Conception to Mary but it was alarming for me to see that in the form of an I am statement. It's interesting that the Roman Catholic dogma of the Immaculate Conception of Mary only goes back to 1854. It's a fairly recent dogma. And Protestants, which we are Protestants this morning, and Eastern Orthodox Christians deny that Mary was born without the corruption of original sin. That belongs to, that status or privilege belongs to Jesus alone. And so the point this morning is that when we talk about Mary as Protestants, we don't want to fall into those extremes. We don't want to begin to venerate Mary in the sense of worshiping her or making an idol out of her. But I don't think for most of us that's really a danger this morning, is it? But what we can do, as we so often do as humans, is we swing the pendulum the other direction, don't we? We overreact to those views that we don't agree with and we go into a different extreme. And I met a woman one time who told me, I don't like that Mary Did You Know song. I said, why? It's beautiful. Mary, did you know? And she said, oh, it talks about Mary too much. 
I said, well, well, but it's saying, Mary, did you know that Jesus is the Savior? That the child you delivered is going to deliver you? The song is saying that Mary needs to be delivered by Jesus, not the other way around, right? And so we can get so allergic. Uh, we get an allergy to Roman Catholicism, and so anything that even sounds, tastes, smells a little bit like Roman Catholicism, we kind of start sneezing and coughing, and, and uh, we, we really don't want to talk about Mary almost at all. But this morning in our sermon text, Mary said, future generations shall call me blessed. Elizabeth said, blessed art thou among women. You know, that little song, Mary, did you know, has a line that really gets to the heart of what I want to talk about this morning. And it says to Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. We don't hesitate to sing that, do we? We don't need to. Because we know that the songwriter is saying, the one who Mary is kissing is God. Jesus is God this morning. God with us as a little baby, innocent, fragile, wrapped in human flesh. And not only do we need to confess this morning that Mary kissed the face of God, but that Mary was the mother of God. There's a Roman Catholic prayer, Mary, mother of God, intercede for us now and in the time of our death. So again, I've met people who hear that, Mary, mother of God, and their allergies, they start sneezing, and they say, no, 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 she's the mother of Jesus the mother of Christ, but not the mother of God. But what do we do when we say that? Well, what we end up doing is splitting Jesus into two persons as if he's not God. But the one person of Jesus Christ that Mary bore is both man and God. There's not a human Jesus and a divine Jesus. There's a human divine Jesus, one Jesus. There was a man in the a fifth century. He was actually a bishop or like a senior pastor. His name was Nestorius. And Nestorius refused to call Mary, the mother of God. The Greek word for mother of God is theotakos, from theos for God. Nestorius would only call her the Christotakos, or the mother of Christ. And the church declared him a heretic for refusing to back down. Because they realized correctly that if you refuse to call Mary the mother of God, what you're really saying is that the one who Mary bore wasn't God. One person in two natures. You split Jesus into two people like he has multiple personality disorder. And so in 451, the church gathered in Chalcedon and wrote the Chalcedonian Creed, which declares that Jesus, who was begotten of the Father, who had God for his Father before all worlds, took Mary for his mother. Mary, the mother of God, according to the humanity. Now, we know that Mary didn't give birth to the divine nature, right? God is eternal. God didn't start to exist in his divine nature. But as a man, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary in a moment of time, and that one whom she bore is God. And so Christians have always confessed, Protestants, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, the Protestant tradition, we've always confessed that Mary is the mother of God. What's my point this morning? 
Four little words. Mary, mother of God. Mary, a woman. The mother of God. I can't think of four little words that bring more honor and dignity to the role of women and of motherhood than to confess at the center of our Christian faith that God came into this world for our salvation through a woman, through her womb, and took Mary as his mother. In our few minutes remaining, I want to just draw your attention to these two simple points. That the incarnation of the Son of God points us to the equality of women and the dignity of motherhood. First of all, God honored all women by coming into the world through a woman. God honored all women by coming into this world through a woman. St. Augustine, when he would teach new disciples, new believers, he would preach a sermon and expound the Apostles' Creed. And when he got to the line about the Virgin Mary, he made this point. God honored both sexes, male and female, by his incarnation. He honored men by becoming a man, but he honored women by becoming a man through a woman. He dignified and honored both sexes as equal and important in his plan. We live in a world that is very confused about sexuality. And as the church, it is more important probably than it has ever been for us to affirm our belief that in the beginning, God created the male and female. But more important than that, not only did he create the male and female, but that it was very good. And the incarnation of the Son of God points us to the fact that manhood and womanhood are both equal and of equal and great dignity in God's plan. You remember that in the beginning, Eve came from Adam out of his rib, right? From his side. And I've heard some jokes about that. But you know, Matthew Henry, hundreds of years ago, had a very clever way of warning men against misusing that passage. He said, the woman was not made from your feet for you to walk over her, but from your side to be equal with you. And though in the beginning, woman came from man, though Eve came from Adam, in the fullness of time, Christ, the second Adam, came from a woman, from Mary, the mother of God. This is the greatest example of what 1 Corinthians eleven twelve uses to establish the equality of men and women. Paul writes, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. A relationship of equality and interdependence. And we see this in the incarnation where we're struck by the dignity of manhood. But we're equally struck by the dignity of womanhood when we realize that the God-man nursed at the breast of a woman. Methodius of Olympus put it beautifully, Mary was the mother of the creator, the nurse of the nourisher. Mary was the mother of the creator, the nurse of the nourisher. 
When we look at Mary, we are reminded that God has honored the entire female sex. And from the moment that God entered into this world through a woman, he lifted women up. Some of Jesus' closest followers were women. That was utterly unheard of for a rabbi in ancient Jewish culture. Not only that, but Jesus chose women as the first witnesses of his resurrection. Women weren't even considered reliable witnesses in court. And Jesus staked the most important fact in human history on the testimony of women. The first ones to see the risen Christ. The church should honor and lift up women as well. We don't make jokes about women. We don't scoff at women. We don't look down upon women or treat them as second-rate citizens in the kingdom of God. First Peter warns us as husbands, listen up, guys. This is serious stuff. That although your wives are, generally speaking, physically weaker, the weaker vessel, physically, God has created women generally, not all the time. I know some women are a lot stronger than I am. But generally speaking, they're the weaker vessel, right? Physically. That even though they're physically weaker and need to be treated tenderly and cared for, they are equal heirs with you of the grace of life. And that that fundamental equality is deeper and that if you mistreat them, God will not hear your prayers. The only prayer he'll hear is, God, I'm sorry for mistreating my wife. From the very moment he entered into this world, God was lifting up women. We see it in the fact that he was born of the Virgin Mary. And we as the church need to lift up women as well. Second point, and then I'm done. God honored motherhood by accomplishing our salvation through childbearing. God honored motherhood by accomplishing our salvation through childbearing. Satan deceived Eve in the garden. But what did God do? He promised Eve that through your seed, the serpent would be crushed. Genesis 3.15. And since God alone can save, that seed of Mary was none other than the Son of God made man. The one who was begotten of the Father before all worlds was born in time of the Virgin Mary, being compassionate towards our sorry condition. The one who had God for his father took Mary to be his mother that we might be saved. There's a painting of, we can put that up here on the screen for a minute. There's a painting of Eve and Mary that makes its rounds during Christmas time. And it pictures Eve here and her cheeks are red with shame. She sinned. She has the apple in her hand. There's a chunk out of it. And the serpent is around her leg. It's conquered her. It's had dominion over her. It's subdued her. But she's looking longingly at Mary's belly. In Mary's belly is the seed that was promised her in Genesis 3.15. The seed that is going to overcome and conquer and crush the serpent's head. And beneath Mary's foot is the head of the serpent. Now, there's only one reason why this painting goes around. It's because there's some Protestant Christians who don't like to see the serpent's head under Mary's foot. They say, no, 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 Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, not Mary. That's a Roman Catholic view. Let me read to you a scripture verse, and you can make the judgment call for yourself. 
Romans 16.20. To the church at Corinth, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. If Paul said to the church that Christ is going to crush the serpent under our feet, that we're going to share in his victory, can't we acknowledge that Mary, as part of the church, has a special role in sharing in Christ's victory to crush the serpent's head? We're not saying she's a co-redeemer. We're not saying she's a co-redemptrix, right? Even the Roman Catholic Church denies that. It's a myth that that's official dogma of the Roman Catholic Church. But what a beautiful, beautiful picture. And we call this typology. Typology, where something in the Old Testament pointed forward and anticipated something in the new. And just as 1 Corinthians says that Adam was a type of the one to come, that there's parallels between Adam and Jesus, I believe that Eve was a type of Mary, the one who was to come. And when we look at that picture, we see that any shame that was brought upon women, Eve is the one who gave the apple to her husband, any shame is removed in that in Mary, Eve has been recapitulated. God has liberated women from that shame. Listen to 1 Timothy 2, 13 to 15 this morning. Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, yet, she will be saved through childbearing. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think there's any woman whose salvation, their entrance into heaven, is determined by them being a mother. So the only thing I can understand that verse to mean is that the shame which was brought upon women as the ones who were deceived in the beginning, is lifted by the fact that God has chosen a woman through whom to redeem the world and shown to the world once and for all of the equality of women and the dignity of motherhood. Mary obeyed God. Look at verse 38 in our text. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women. Mary said, future generations shall call me blessed. And because God in his sovereignty incorporated Mary's obedience into his plan, the disobedience of Eve was undone. Listen to Irenaeus writing in the second century. The knot of Eve's disobedience was loosed or untied by the obedience of Mary. For what the virgin Eve had bound fast through unbelief, this did the virgin Mary set free through faith. On Mother's Day, our confession that Mary is the mother of God, blessed among women, reminds us of the equality of women and it reminds us of the dignity of motherhood. It calls us to lift up women and to honor them as equals. But above all, it points us to our God and Savior, the seed of the woman who came through a woman to set us free from the serpent. His head has been crushed this morning. The death blow has been dealt. And a day is soon coming when he's going to put Satan under our feet forever. And there will be no more tempter. He'll be banished. And we'll dwell with the Lord in a new Eden where his glory will cover the earth. Thank you for listening to the Holy Joy Sermon Podcast. Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. 
please pray about partnering with us at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.